the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, joining me for today's edition, um, hang on just a second, we've got a call coming in here that I want to add. Tom Sumner Program. Hi, sorry, I missed your call. Okay, stand by. Okay, now we're all here. Um, on the left, we have Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Tom. And no. joining us, uh, and just in the nick of time, <laughs> we political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Good morning, Bobby. Welcome. Good morning. I, Dana Rouse called me just before you called, and I said, I can't talk for very long. Anyway, he should say hi. Oh, well, t- when you talk to him again, tell him I uh, returned the hello. Um, you're coming through kind of loud, Bobby. I'm not sure. Uh, what I am? Yeah. I don't know if you have control over I wonder. Well, you know, I, I hijacked every single one of the phones because I didn't want the other people in my household to be picking up the phones. So maybe I should try a different phone. Well. well I, I can hear you well, though, Bobby. I can. Yeah, but loud. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tone it down a little bit. Yeah, that uh, that would <clears throat> help before we get rolling here. Okay. Now, we normally start with uh, a couple of quotes, and uh, the first one is usually the finish the joke, or finish the quote, based on Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. 
And uh, that's where uh, I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And uh, this week it goes like this. If you have 10,000 regulations, you what? You're over uh, managing. You can't enforce them all. Yeah, you're over-regulating. What uh, the original quote goes, if you have 10,000 regulations, you destroy all respect for the law. Yeah. I, I think uh, we're in the same ballpark anyway. Did, Too many. Any idea who might have said that? Teddy Roosevelt. Ronald Reagan. It sounds like Reagan, but uh, it was maybe, actually... Maybe. Go. Maybe Rinky. We just sat down. <laughs> um, Kevin Rinky. That sounds like something he'd say too. But uh, that was, in fact, Winston Churchill. Oh, oh. smart man. Oh. And and I think it was Very you know yeah. uh, along those same lines as uh, you know tightening too much, you know, putting too much control um, makes people sort of reject the idea of it. And, uh, well, not only that, it makes yeah, it impossible yeah. to implement, and if you can't implement the law, it doesn't exist. Sure, and particularly if the regulations contradict each other with something they do. What that did can make things kind of complicated, too, about enforcing anything. Paul, you mentioned and, uh, Kevin Rinke. What did, you, did you get a chance to hear... Uh, any of that uh, conversation this morning? I heard, I heard the last part of the interview. Yeah, I did not. Particularly the part on taxes. I was, I was. You know, I heard the last part on taxes. And I was still a bit intrigued about exactly how he was going to cut the uh, the income tax and still have enough money to fund the budget. I, I uh, haven't, I, I haven't found a Republican that can answer that question, um, you know, truthfully for as long as I've been doing this show. I, you know, the question is, they say they want to cut taxes and they want to shrink government. They cut the taxes, but they never seem to get around to the shrinking the government part. Yeah. And the question then becomes, what can we do without? You know, what can we let go? What, where are we? A- where, are, where are those 10,000 regulations? That that's a good question, and uh, right. of course that that and that fits in with the Republican platform. A small government is what they have always professed, and yet I don't see any changes. We and we then do uh, cut regulations, but we never seem to reduce government. That's a good question, Tom. Who gave you that question? If you come out with a list of of what you're going to get rid of, then you alienate a lot of voters. We're going to get rid of this program and that program and the other program. I've been asking that. The voters who like those programs are going to turn on you. I've been asking that question for years. I remember reading a book about red tape, and um, it said that one person's red tape is another person's sacred ritual. (laughs) Yeah. And so, <laughs> good phrase. Yeah. So what we're dealing with is everybody has a sacred ritual. Well, that that reminds me of uh, <laughs> and, uh, a, a classic uh, response to all of the rhetoric about uh, draining the swamp in Washington. <laughs> and Mark Everson uh, 
who spent a certain amount of time wading in those waters um, said, well, the swamp is made up mostly of, uh, you know, government, uh, government servants that uh, are trying to make the trains run on time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely right. And, and uh, it's that's the same sort of thing. But you know, not to not to throw Republicans under the bus about promising uh, to shrink government and not doing it. Um, Democrats, including our current governor Gretchen Whitmer, have been talking about transparency and you know open and honest government forever. And um, right. You know, yet here we are, Gretchen Whitmer's coming up for re-election, and, you know, her promise to, well, I don't know that it was actually a promise, but she sort of hinted that she was going to um, remove the exemption on the governor's office uh, for FOIA requests. And right. Yet, and yet Michigan, right. yeah, Michigan and Massachusetts, I think it's Massachusetts, still are the only two states in the country that have exemptions for the legislature and the governor's office against uh, FOIA requests. We have the weakest That's ethics kind of unusual category. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, but uh, yeah. if other states don't have it, why should Michigan, Michigan have it? It would be among them. Yeah. Yeah. What were you saying, Bobby? I'm sorry. I said we had the weakest. I remember when they did a survey of all the states, and Michigan was one of two, and maybe Minnesota was the other. Uh, the weakest ethics law for elected officials. We don't have uh, we don't have financial disclosure. Uh, we'd like you say FOIA. Legislature doesn't have it. Government doesn't have it. And any of the budget documents that are used to prepare the budget are not available for public scrutiny. We're just a bunch of dummies. Yeah, as I say, you would expect you would expect that to be somewhere in, in some states in the South or something. But it's unusual to see Michigan and and one other state to, to be the the only two states to not have those kind of regulations. And yet, I talked to uh, I talked I talked to Jim Ananick about this some years ago, and um, he assured me that some of them are really in favor of it. But he said you can't get it passed because. It's one of those things where a lot of people, it's like saying, I don't want to reveal to you how much I make. I don't want to reveal to you anything that goes on behind the doors of my office. Yeah, but that's public information anyway. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to, they don't have to give you anything. The, the public doesn't have to ask for that. The only thing that's exempt from the legislature's exemption <laughs> about FOIA is, um, <laughs> I, I know that's it's kind of a double negative, but is um, where the budget is concerned. They have to respond to FOIA requests with regard to the budget. But, yeah. But in all yeah, but I asked it some years ago, the budgetary documents, like the working documents that are used or the reports that are used or the statistics that come down, because I know there's an awful lot of material that exchanges hands during the, the consideration of the budget. Those documents are not public. So we can't look and see what uh, the agencies requested regarding staffing or regarding what they would do with extra money if they had it. Those kinds of questions are not up for public scrutiny. 
Why is it? If the people who derive their consent to govern from the people, why can't the people have that? It doesn't make sense. I was going to say, historically, how did, how did we become the only one of the few states exempt from all that stuff? I wonder how that happened. Yeah, I, that, that's curious. And, and I, I'm pretty sure Massachusetts is the other one, but, um, but I'm not... 100% sure on that. Here's, uh, if we've got time to squeeze this in before the break, um, one of the quotes that caught my attention this week, marriage was always an issue that was left to the states. Some states were moving to allow gay marriage. Other states were moving to allow civil partnerships. There were different standards that the states were adopting. I think I heard that, but I don't remember who said it. Well, I won't leave you hanging. It was uh, that was Senator Ted Cruz. He believes the U.S. Supreme Court was clearly wrong in its landmark 2015 uh, ruling that legalized same-sex marriage, uh, according to the uh, Texas Republican in an interview on Saturday. Is same-sex marriage the next SCOTUS ruling to be reversed by former President Trump's mega court? I think it's different because. Civil marriage is a contract. It's a public contract that is entered into between two adult human beings. And I believe the decision was based on the 14th Amendment, which is due process and equal protection under the law, whereas abortion rights were not. Um, To go back and define how an adult may enter into a contract with another adult, excluding a certain group of people, I think would be very hard to justify. Well, a contract with a woman and a man who gets married, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's a contract. Uh, yes. Sanctioned by law. Yes. So, Not uh, by so, church. Uh, 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 but those are different. A man and a man is... Uh, Still two, two adult citizen human beings. But if you, if you, if you remove one, you've got to remove the other. You mean you don't allow a contract between anybody? Yeah, well, it's a contract between a man and a woman. That's a contract. <laughs> you know, I find myself... discriminating against other people? <laughs> you know, these, I, these issues... I don't when know they, when I'm discriminating, but it sounds good anyway. These issues, when they come up, I'm, I'm always surprised at how many times there's a uh, West Wing television show reference... And there was a, a scene in one of the episodes where a gay member of Congress was complaining um, at that time when the, when the show aired, um, there hadn't been any ruling in support of same-sex marriage. And uh, his proposal was that marriage be outlawed altogether. <laughs> and, and, and he was dead serious about it. And... Um, Anyway, it was kind of funny watching him wrestle with with the idea of fair is fair. Yeah, well, that's like rescinding the Second Amendment. Won't happen. No, it won't happen. But I'm I'm. Well, we've got a break coming up, and and we'll pick up. Would, on Tom, would you call me that. back? Maybe the the line will be clearer if you call me instead of me calling you. Okay, I'll try that. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our uh, weekly roundtable armchair politics, and I'm going to take a uh, roll call, make sure we still have everybody, <laughs> everybody here. Paul, welcome back, and uh, Bobby, welcome back. Henry, are you still with us? Yes, I'm oh, Okay, somehow we lost Paul along the way, and I was reconnecting with Bobby, so welcome to live radio. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, uh, we were talking a little bit about same-sex marriage and, and uh, a quote from... Uh, Cruz. Yeah, Ted Cruz. Thanks, uh, Henry. Um, but here's here's another quote that caught my attention this week, and, and this one has me very confused. We need to get to the bottom of whether the Secret Service destroyed federal records or the Department of Homeland Security obstructed oversight. The, D, uh, the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General needs these records to do its independent oversight, and the public deserves to have a full picture of what occurred on January 6th. That's the quote. Hmm. So many Could it mean the, the chairman of the committee, the January 6th committee? No, it's chairman of a committee, but it's not that committee. It was um, Michigan Democrat uh, Senator Gary Peters, chairman of the Senate Homeland Security oh. and Governmental oh. Affairs Committee. Oh, yeah. The U.S. Uh-huh. Secret Service erased text messages from January 5th and 6th, 2021, shortly after they were requested by oversight officials investigating the agency's response to the U.S. Capitol riot, according to a letter given to the House Select Committee investigating the insurrection and first obtained by CNN. The letter, which was originally sent to the House and Senate Homeland Security Committees by the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General, says the messages were erased from the system as part of a device replacement program after the watchdog asked the agency for records related to its electronic communications. Has the Secret Service ever been called upon to produce records like these in past congressional investigations? I certainly can't recall any, I don't think. I can't either. I can't either. Yeah. And it's funny, it's that sacred ritual red tape thing that we talked about earlier. Some people don't like it. Well, Well, the Secret Service has a long history of not commenting to the press or, you know, sharing any of their information with regard to presidential protection in particular. That's true. Yeah. um, I get the impression they think they're a little bit above it all. I may be wrong, but I used to know a Secret Service agent, and he was a little pompous. Um, <laughs> I think I think they think that because they're called secret, that they don't have to be um, open to the rest of us. <laughs> Maybe they don't think they're subject to oversight. Hey, you know, I it, it it occurs to me that people who are elected <clears throat> to Congress are no better than the average population. You know, if they get into trouble, they run in the cover and they don't tell the truth. They give all political responses and they think the population should accept those as truth. But my <clears throat> gosh, with this event over January 6th, I, I question 
do we have the people that Diogenes was searching for an honest, honest man, an honest <laughs> woman? No, yeah. it, it's, uh, are there such a thing? And you're asking the same questions. There's a series of questions that you are asking right now. Are, are there honest men or honest women? Aren't there regulations that require that those, those uh, recordings be saved? Yes. Uh, yes. For at least yes. the archives? And the national yeah. records uh, are supposed to keep them. Yes, they are required. It's considered public record. In fact, I think um, the National Archives became involved because it's their responsibility to maintain those public records. And I think there was some concern, but... I remember one of my favorite plays was a play called Rashomon, where the whole oh, play yeah. was three different people viewing the same same event and telling a completely different story because of what they saw. I had a civics teacher that uh, that actually showed us um, a lesson by uh, by having a student. It was prearranged. Um, just come busting into the classroom and throw down a bunch of books and, and cuss and swear and then ran out yep. of the room. And uh, the teacher lifted up a map or a screen or something, and there were six or eight questions on the board that we were supposed to, you know, fill out responses to on a piece of paper like a pop quiz. And it was, you know, what did she say? What was she wearing? Um, right. <laughs> and And... 30 kids in that room gave 30 different answers. <laughs> exactly. And it had just happened. But do you remember, and now this is this is going back a long ways, and it's also kind of a stretch, because for the 50th anniversary of uh, the Kennedy assassination, I had um, a, a former Michigan treasurer on the show, because his dad was the Secret Service agent riding in the car behind Kennedy. Oh, wow. And he remembered, he was a young man, he remembered his dad coming home that day, going immediately to the basement where he had a little kind of home office set up, and on an old-fashioned typewriter, typing out his report, and then going to the White House. And he went to the White House with him, and he turned in his report to whoever his supervisor was. And um, and that made me wonder when this came up with the with this committee requesting documents from the Secret Service. Did the Warren Commission request those reports and and documents? Hmm. They, they might very well. They might very well have because yeah, they would want every they would want every point of view. Yeah, yeah but, but, but I'm trying to recall I, if, if I've ever read anything. You know, I, I read much of that stuff in, in that time, and, and I'm not sure I recall any direct recordings from the Secret Service. Of that. Maybe it, you know, that's a long time ago, obviously. But uh, I'm just trying to recall whether there were any recordings of Secret now, Service. Now, anybody in authority like that has a has a uh, a duty to report an incident. It's called an incident report, right? They and and th this was this was clearly done. I mean, I have, you know, first account <laughs> witness of one of the Secret Service yeah. agents actually doing it. 
huh. and and turning it in. Uh, but but I don't know if it ever made it to the Warren Commission. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, obviously I, I they, don't recall reading no, it. I mean, they didn't have text memory. messages in those days. <clears throat> but you know, I I wonder if the Secret Service was expected to share that kind of information with a uh, you know in a public hearing setting or in a public investigation of that kind. Well, that's a good question. I'm just curious um, if anybody else has... There may have been background information that they used but didn't publish. That could be, too. But that depends on the committee, what the intent of the committee was. It is to protect the truth as, uh, as they would be benefited by it or to give the public uh, the incident as it occurred and what was the truth. Well, you know, what was curious about about the current incident is that it's apparently, at least from what, what the reports are, that the only two days missing are January 5th and 6th. I mean, if you're going to... You know, yeah, that's a little curious. And yeah, if you're going to delete a bunch of material, okay, or you're going to get new phones, okay. But just those two, apparently, assuming that's accurate, apparently only those two days were the ones that were missing. So that is kind of curious. Well, don't you think that if they have information from one person or two people or three people that they're looking for other information to either support or refute it, which is what the Secret Service reports would do, right. they would either support or refute what we've already heard? Yeah. Um, so it appears to me that once you have these infinite reports, that report is to p p it would favor the outcome of those who are in charge. And the truth will never be told. What was the woman's name who uh, was the uh, assistant to Mark Meadows that testified in the, I think, sixth of the oh, seven um, hearings we've seen so far? I don't know why her name is. Cassie Worthington? Yeah, yeah right. I think her I name was, was Hutchinson. Everybody's right. still there? I heard the phones click. Yeah, no, <laughs> Cassie Hutchinson. Hutchinson, Hutchinson, yeah. And uh, I, I think what they're looking for is for the Secret Service to um, support that part of the story that she Ooh, about told the, about the Donald incident Trump. in the car with the yeah. grabbing the steering wheel and all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I heard, and it may be true or not, was that Donald Trump became very wise in his later years in, in the White House and chose and was able to choose the Secret Service agents that he knew would be loyal to him personally as opposed to those that would just do their job to protect him as the president. And so there was some question about the people who may have destroyed the records as being people who are more more loyal to him than they were to their job. Well, now, weren't there some stories, too, about him using some Secret Service phones rather than his own phones to make certain calls? I, I recall well, hearing some stories to that effect about, again, during the January 6th situation. Uh, but I hadn't heard that, but that certainly would be an explanation for uh, deleting calls um, from a, a specific time period. Yeah, yeah, there mm -hmm. were allegations that he was grabbing their phones, in, in, in pre, maybe intentionally, to avoid using his own phone to make calls or send texts or something of that nature. <coughs> so, hmm. I don't know. Curious and curiouser. 
Well, it, yeah. it's just we don't usually see this kind. There isn't this kind of discussion about the Secret Service and what they knew and when did they know it and all of that kind of stuff. It's it's just it's an unusual development in the, in a long line of unusual developments. Hey, I right. Say. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they're usually just in the background. And and very intentionally there. so. You know, they yeah. they intend to be in the background. Well, residents of the city of Flint can request and receive absentee ballots at the clerk's office at City Hall beginning uh, this week. Registered voters will be able to request an absentee, absentee ballot until August 1st at 4 p.m. for the August 2nd primary election. The Flint City Clerk's Office is open on the third floor of City Hall from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday, according to a news release from Inez Brown, Flint City Clerk. How will absentee ballot access impact voter turnout in Flint and Genesee County? I'm kind of wondering. In fact, I'm still waiting for mine. I turned in my request for it weeks ago, and I still we still haven't received our our absentee ballots here. So I'm yeah, still we waiting. haven't either. No. Well, I, I think they've I had, had some. Mine. I go ahead, Henry. To Paul and got mine and filled it out there. They would have sent it to Sand, Sandy and I got ours and mailed them uh, mailed them back. And I I wonder. Um, I know I checked on the uh, Genesee County Clerk's uh, page to look at what was on the ballot, and some of the candidates for governor that were supposed to be prevented from being on the ballot were on there. Oh, and so I think maybe there was a delay in getting confirmed what candidates were on the ballot and getting them printed. And, and by, the, by the way, this is not a uh, edict uh, from the city of Flint or from Hines Brown. This is a state uh, working uh, operating system that sent that out. Everybody has the same information. Well, it's the... If the county clerk's office has yes, been but short, it's his office, but it's it's uh, the central uh, body that regulates. I know, that. but they're responsible yes. for the printing of the ballots, yes. and we have two people who are missing who aren't able to participate. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. And and I I think I just read somewhere where there was another person involved with elections. Uh, in one of the surrounding counties that had been... My point here is Inez Brown should not be criticized for doing this. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, I... She's the city She's the city clerk, and I was talking about the county clerk's website. I know. I know. But I just wanted to make sure that we understood that. Let's see. Uh, do we want to pick apart some of the um, millages that are... No, let's let's do this one first. Nearly five months after it started, a civil bellwether trial designed to test the liability of consulting companies during the Flint water crisis is about to be turned over to an eight-person jury for its verdict. An advisory from U.S. District Court on Monday says Brian Ramali, I think is the name, uh, an expert witness for consulting company Lockwood Andrews and Newman is scheduled to testify uh, 
uh, was scheduled to testify yesterday, um, followed by closing arguments, which are expected as early as today and tomorrow. Uh, on Monday, attorneys uh, for four children um, and the ones from Land and Viola in North America spent more than three hours discussing jury instructions with Judge Judith Levy who has presided at the trial in anticipation of closing arguments this week. The children claim that two companies which consulted with the city of Flint during the water crisis were professionally negligent and are partially responsible for injuries they suffered as a result of uh, drinking Flint water when it contained elevated levels of lead. Veolia and Lan have challenged the children's injuries and said government officials are solely responsible for the water, water crisis. Are there any limits on the money awards? Well, yeah. Just it's a, the, the, the overall uh, amount available. <laughs> certain, yeah. yeah. <laughs> does not come from an endless pit. Well, it looks like once they ran out of options and getting money from the government, now they're looking at getting it from the uh, the businesses that might have some pocket money. Yeah. Well, and what, no, and what happens if there are some big settlements here? Um, are, are we going to see a, a, a bunch of litigation start? Well, I think with... <laughs> I mean, they keep calling it a bellwether trial. Does that mean... Uh, As a matter of fact, speaking of that, let me throw out a question here. And, and, uh, we, we should have had J.D. here. Is, is the term bellwether a legal term? I've seen it used so frequently in the journalistic coverage of the trial as if it was a formal legal term. I mean, I realize what it means in the most generic sense, but is it, is it somehow legally going to define what later cases can do? And I really don't know the answer to that. But I've seen the term mm, bellwether used so frequently. Uh, in covering the story. And, and as I say, we probably ought to have an attorney around right. to, to to let us know whether or not the term bellwether is a formal legal term or just a, a journalistic term that they've picked up and say it's going to sort of set the tone for the other trials. I don't know. I've never heard it used in a legalese way. Neither have I. For, for, yeah, I haven't either. For, I, th no, I think I it's just... Either. I think it's just become the catchphrase for this yeah, trial. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, but because it has, um, does that prompt or uh, encourage other cases to come out of the woodwork? Well, it could set the standard, and it would depend upon how hungry the lawyers are. Sure. I... <laughs> I you know, you, you see all those ads on television. If you know, uh, if if you were part of this case, you know, you you use this uh, this um, insecticide, or you you were on this military base years ago. Call so and so, and we'll see if we can file a lawsuit for you. Yeah, I would I would think it's a possibility. Yeah, if if the if the companies are found culpable and they're actually assessed some sort of a damage, I think that there may be other cases. Certainly. Well, let's see. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Henry. We'd have to look at the source of the information, the original source of the information, what happened there. Those people are culpable. And and we're not talking about those. We're talking about the company that came in and said, hey, you give me $39,000 and I'll solve your problem. He gave you voodoo. He gave you just what you asked for. 
if you guys remember the incident. Yeah. But the the story is within uh, within the department of uh, water and drinking water. There's nobody else. There's where the source of the investigation should begin and end, right there. Was their data changed? Did who knew and when they knew and what they did? They were obligated to do certain things to report an incident. Well, the yeah, incident I, reported. And and my understanding is you received, can, yeah. But my, my understanding is you got to prove prove some real harm. You can't just say the water tasted funny. You got to show some yeah, medical right. damage or some, some something yeah. similar. Yeah. Well, I, isn't that one of the issues? They can't prove the damage? That may be, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're squabbling about how you prove lead in the bones, I guess. I mean, again, I don't know the, the science behind it, but it's, yeah. it seems to squabbling about the testing they're doing. Well, you know, you can you can determine the amount of lead that goes in the bone, you know, and that's uh, part of the uh, source of information that was used. But remember, they were but trying the, to use that, that portable equipment that, came into question as to mm -hmm. whether it was valid yeah. they were using it because none of the hospitals in Flint had the equipment that it takes to do that but and, yeah. and, you know and, and people have been drinking that water for years and you have to separate two populations of people one is the young individuals that drink water in 2000 uh, 15. Yeah, uh, it started but, in 14, but yeah, mostly in uh, yeah. 15. People either Well, wasn't one of the issues whether you could tell by taking the blood? It I think that was a secondary test, and yeah. again, I don't know which yeah. one is better than that's the other. An, that's an initial. That's an initial test, but the problem is lead doesn't stay in the blood very long. It goes yeah. almost immediately into the bones. Right, and I think that was the latest thing I read was that the defense was trying to show that it wasn't in the blood, therefore it's not a problem. Yeah, you can. Henry, you're dropping out quite a bit. Henry? Are you there, yes. Henry? Yes, I am. Okay, are. that's better. Okay, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Oh, you sound good. Well, and, and just, in <laughs> time, just in time for us to take a break. So once again, I get to cut Henry off. <laughs> yeah. I'm all done. Thank um, you. But we are going to take a short break. If you're listening to us on WFOVLP, our voices radio, 92.1 FM Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. And uh, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll have more armchair politics with uh, Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter right after this.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice vaccination to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles meningitis and whooping cough that's why nearly all parents choose it stroller or carriage basketball or soccer so get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two for more reasons to vaccinate talk to your child's doctor Go to cdc.gov slash vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hey, why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, I, I think everybody's yep. with us. Paul yeah, I'm here. Henry and Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars. I mentioned uh, during the last segment that I was going to um, take a look at, at some of the issues that are on the ballot. Uh, the August 2nd primary coming up in about two weeks. And... Um, I think probably what we'll do is just talk about the two that are countywide. There are several in some of the communities around the uh, around the county. Clio Area Schools has uh, uh, operating and uh, sinking fund millage renewals. Um, there's a mosquito control millage proposal in Grand Blanc Township. Uh, Lake Fenton Community Schools has a sinking fund renewal. Uh, there's an operating millage renewal proposal for Flint Township uh, Police and Fire. Uh, and uh, let's see, Police and Fire in Linden have a charter amendment proposal to authorize a millage um, for those services. But uh, countywide, we have Genesee County Parks and Recreation has a uh, millage renewal. And uh, there's a millage renewal and increased proposal for Michigan State University Extension Services for Genesee County. Um, there's uh, there's a, a renewal and an increase in that MSU Extension uh, uh, millage uh, request. And uh, the Genesee County Parks and Recreation is um, simply a renewal of an existing millage. Uh, any thoughts on those? Pretty low profile, I think. I mean, I would guess that they're probably going to get supported because they're fairly modest re- renewals or I mean, very, very slight increase. But that, that's my hunch. And I've seen outside of a few yard signs, I've heard no uh, uh, significant campaigns on those kind of things. Well, I remember when there, a few years ago, when there was quite a an uproar over the uh, Michigan State one, because <clears throat> first time through it failed. But um, the importance of that one, to me, is that it supports the 4-H program in our county. And I think that program is extremely important for our young people. Um, for one thing, they have an extremely good uh, citizenship uh, training that they get in their 4-H program, and they certainly aren't getting it much in the schools. That's true. That's true. So I'm for that. Yeah, I, I'm supporting both of them myself, and I think I would think they have a good chance. They don't seem controversial from what I've seen, but as I say, with a low turnout in the August primary, you never quite know. And I've seen it's outside of a few yard signs and a little bit of mention here and there on social media. I've not seen much of a campaign Henry, are you still with us? Henry? Henry? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, can, okay. you, can you hear me? Yeah, I just, hear? I, I just wondered if you uh, had any thoughts or wanted to comment on the um, Clio Schools uh, operating yeah. and sinking fund renewal. Um, uh, over the years, 
Yeah, you're breaking up again, Henry. I'm sorry. I, I'm outside um, on the porch, and I've left, I've left all of the other destructive things inside. Can you still hear me? <laughs> I can hear you can now. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I just think after we've discussed this for several years about schools, and watch the schools just go completely off rail. Uh, and I believe the schools do need the money. I do believe that there are good teachers who teach in schools. I believe that schools are service, uh, a human need, and we got to have it, and it's our future. So I vote that way for schools, and I hope other people will see the same thing. We cannot create a better nation by having kids without education. Um, isn't the sinking fund for the maintenance of the facilities? Yes, yes basically. But yeah. you can't have a school with a leaking roof either. So you, right. those things. No, I agree. Better. I'm not. I'm not arguing with you at all. I think the I children need to know we value them, and we, therefore we will give them a good facility to be educated in. And, and you know, and the other thing I really believe is that our system is getting better. We are becoming, uh, we have the opportunity to become a better nation. If you look at the, the discussion on race and gender and all of that stuff, people are, um, are learning to deal with that in an acceptable way. And, they, and school districts report the truth about race because that's what's in the books. And uh, we need to give them that credibility. Well, it depends if the books come out of Texas. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, those are becoming well, hot yeah. the school boards these days. The but, critical race but, theory and among a few it, other things. Yeah, but there's a lot, a lot has been written, and they make comparison, contrast and comparison, stuff that was known for a long time. Uh, teachers do a good job in well, supporting that. They don't back away from supporting the truth about race and about slavery. As long as we're on I would, I would hope that I hope that's true, Henry, because I, yeah, I've heard so many stories about how there's there's been so much flack directed towards school boards and teachers occasionally on those but, sorts of issues. But now you want, but once schools uh, fall into the hands of politics, guess what? It becomes political. Mm, right. And uh, well, so as long we as we don't know where that part of it will go, because. As long as we're on the subject of schools, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer visited a Flint Community College Thursday to sign a budget bill that provides record combined funding for K-12 through schools, community colleges, and universities. However, a large chunk of the funding is considered one-time money arising from federal coronavirus relief payments to the state and a short-term state budget <coughs> surplus. Um, without going into the rest of the, the breakdown on all this, what happens when the coronavirus relief money runs out? That's true for so many issues, yeah. It's going to be gone one well, of the days. Now, we've been yeah. cautioning you about use, this for... Isn't that why you use it for a one-time uh, use as opposed to plugging it in to fill a hole in your budget? That Well, yeah, we've been like cautioning about that, like that, Bobby, for months yeah. on this show. <laughs> what? You know, if if the money is one-time money, fix a bridge, 
fix a road. Yeah. You know, do right. something right. that's going to last for years, not to, um, you yeah. know, shore up not this to, year's budget shortfall. Yeah. Not to blow the hole. Actually, that's been my criticism about the state lottery regarding education funding. <clears throat> Instead of using it as a supplemental to increase the ability to make the schools better, it's used to plug up holes in the budget. And that's, that's not really being very truthful, is it? But, but there are two sides to that. I, I understand, and, and there are constant reports on what they do with the lottery money. But all of them indicate, uh, most of them indicate that the money is not used for things other than education. And it only gives $60 million a year. It's a very small fraction of the overall education yeah. budget anyhow. So um, it's a small piece of the budget. Our budget is $18 million this year in Michigan for schools. $18 billion. But if, but if people justify legalized gambling by saying that it's supporting our schools, what I'm telling you is it's supplementing the tax money that should have gone to supplement our schools. That's, that's my criticism of it, and it's that way in a lot of states. It's not, not exclusive to Michigan. Well, I got, let me see if I can squeeze one more in before the break at the top of the hour. An Oakland County man filed a lawsuit Thursday to keep GOP gubernatorial candidate Ryan Kelly off the general election ballot, saying his participation in the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol makes him ineligible. Um, is this lawsuit premature if Kelly hasn't been convicted of anything yet? His, if he's been convicted in court, let the public decide it. Probably <laughs> at this point, yeah, as I said, it's... I mean, the, the okay. bottom line is the ballots are out there already and, every, and all that, so I... <clears throat> Otherwise... It may, be, uh, it may be wasted right. effort. Yeah. yeah, it may be wasted effort. People have been elected after they've been convicted and actually have already been serving in prison after they got elected. Yeah, so. yeah I, I recall in Chicago there was an alderman elected while he was still in jail. <laughs> <laughs> well, Texas elected a, a justice to their state Supreme Court who was in prison. So, yeah. you know. Right. Was it was he a Democrat or a Republican? <laughs> I well, isn't isn't judges aren't judges supposed to be nonpartisan? Actually yeah. it Until was they it get... was a until they get yeah, to the Supreme Court. I think Supreme he had Court, a similar name to a very popular um, politician in the state, so he was elected on his name only. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think they're. I think judges are supposed to be nonpartisan uh, until they get to the Supreme Court. Uh, right. But you cannot <laughs> serve in a political office if you have a conviction record. Right. Well, that's that's that uh, that new law in Michigan. That's true, but but that's only for felonies. And I think uh, Kelly's was, was a misdemeanor to begin with, wasn't it? Uh, well, let I, the public decide that. Yeah, but realistically, that's probably the the way to go. I yeah, think. Uh, yeah. As I say, the ballots are already out. So I mean, it's what are you going to do? And, yeah, there's four and misdemeanor charges. Don't overlook charges, my show to see how I vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll get give you guys one guess. <laughs> well, we've got to uh, take a short break here and uh, have our top of the hour ID. 
But we got lots more to talk about coming up in the second half of Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right, joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. So stay tuned. More Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program is coming up straight ahead. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 